huge. We have a lot of stuff happening. So what do you allow to speak into your life on a daily? So what voice or what, what thing do you allow daily? When you wake up, what's the first thing that you hear? Is it biblical? Is it Jesus? Or is it lies? Is it false advertisement? Is it distorted truth? So today I kind of really wanted to kind of break down what the kind of the chatterbox is. And so, and so um, we are fighting enemies that are deep within ourselves, right? We allow things and outside sources to impart on us who we are. So the enemy doesn't lie out front. It distorts the truth. Can we agree on that? The enemy doesn't, doesn't just lie, tell us a straight lie. Because if, if it was a straight lie, I'm pretty sure we would have the wits enough to not believe it, right? But we, we allow that truth, we, that truth, the enemy distorts the truth. It's still truth, but it's just twisted in a different way where it doesn't have the biblical meaning, but more of a reverse effect. So, and I asked that question, so what does your chatterbox sound like? What does your chatterbox sound like? Is it something that speaks lies? Is it something that pours deception? Is it something that's just sweet sometimes and gives you great hope, but in reality leads you down a path of destruction? What is your chatterbox? You kind of explained that it was, it was something that pours out deception. So what is that chatterbox in your heart? If you really had to think about it, where is that sitting at? We have to learn how to deal with various voices that come our way. It's so important. There's so many different outside sources speaking into us. But I want to bring us into Genesis 1, 1 through 3. And if you're already there, um, this is huge. So, I mean, it's the very beginning of the Bible. It's, it's, it's right when, when um, God... And uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit were all kind of just at this moment. So, in the beginning, and I'm reading an English Standard Version, and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, that's, that's the part that I, 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 God said, let there be light, and there was light. The huge thing that I want to I mention and God said. Our entire world starting with, started with something. And God said. God spoke. God said something. And it was. We have to realize our world is a byproduct of God speaking into it. Our whole creation is the voice of our Father speaking life into something. The way that we live, the way that we act, everything that's been created was literally God said and it was. So if we have our Father speaking into that, and if our Father started something off and said God said and it was good, how come we allow our lives to sit over here and let things tell us that it's bad? 
How do we let outside voices tell us or describe to us that this is terrible over here? In the beginning, God said and it was good. Although God is always speaking, it's on us to choose what we will actively hear and respond to. God is always speaking. He's always saying something. He's always trying to give us truth. But we have to be attuned enough to understand what his voice sounds like and how to dictate the truth from the lies and push the lies out. Are we always great at it? No. I will tell you that 100%. I'm terrible at it sometimes. Sometimes I think it's Jesus, but it's my personal ambition, and it's awesome. <laughs> and then it ends up just failing me terribly. But, but in reality, I mean, it's, it's huge. Like, we have to understand what the voice of our Father sounds like, or we just get lost in translation of a twisted truth. And it may sound beautiful, And it may sound awesome, but it's literally God's truth twisted to fit an enemy's face. So I kind of want to move over to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. And and then this part, there's, there's, there's there's some great truth in this thing right here, is we meet we meet the serpent and we meet and we meet Eve. But there is there's a conversation that the serpent and Eve have that's that's really, really crucial. So verse three says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of, of the, any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there is this dialogue happening here between Satan and Eve. And it's really crucial because you know, Adam and Eve had, had the Father's voice speaking to him all the time. They walked with him in the garden. They, they, they knew the Father's voice. They knew God's voice personally. But Satan comes in and twists the truth. So verse 1, Satan is taking the truth and spinning it. So in verse 1... Um, it says, did God actually say you shall not eat of, any, eat of any tree in the garden? He took this truth that God said, do not eat of the tree, and he looked at it, and he used the context, did he say? So in, in, that, in that first part, he's starting to make Eve question the authority of who God is. He didn't say anything that right from the very beginning that if you, if you um, a straight out lie, oh, no, you won't die. No, he, he took the truth and said, did you, did he really say that? So he's, he's spitting the truth. Now, if you jump down to verse four and five, but the servant said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat it, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. So in, in verse four and five, he's affirming the lie. 
And he's creating justification in it. So he took, he took the truth that God had, he spun it to Eve and gave, made her start questioning it. And then, and then after all said, he affirmed that, oh, you won't die. You'll just be like God knowing good and evil. And then he justified it, making it, making it credible. So that's insane. Like, this is what's happening on a daily basis. So this is how crafty the enemy can be. This is very, very, very crafty. So when we listen to the voice of God, we gain life. But when we listen to the wrong voices, we lose our destiny. Eve's destiny was changed when she responded to who? The serpent. It's huge. Her destiny changed when she responded to the enemy. When she fell for the lie. When she listened to the chatterbox. Her and Adam's destiny changed. That's a big, that's a big thing. So the enemy can say anything he wants, right? But if you do not respond, he cannot do anything to you. We can have the enemy constantly talking, constantly talking, constantly talking, constantly talking. But if we do not respond to that voice and give it merit or give it credibility or give it justification, what can it do? Nothing. It's just a stagnant voice out in the wind. But when we respond to that voice, we're giving justification to a truth that's been distorted. And then that starts piling up. And then that starts piling up. And then that starts piling up. And then pretty soon, we don't understand what's truth and what's real. We, start understand, we don't understand what God's voice sounds like anymore. The more that we buy into this chatterbox, the more that we buy into the lies the more that we accept the truth from the enemy or the lies from the enemy is the more that we lose God's voice in the distance and then we become familiar with a lie and then God's voice and the lie start to sound the same. But if we start distort, if we start creating a line and separating ourselves from the lie and what God's voice is, we'll start understanding what our Father's voice sounds like again. But it takes us not responding in the first place to start that moment. So we must not engage into our chatterbox. It gives room for us to agree with distortion. So I'm going to jump over to Matthew chapter, chapter 4, and I'm going to kind of read this whole chapter. Um, it's great truth. And in this part, this is kind of... Um, Talking about right, right as, as Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit led him up into the desert and he fasted for 40 days, right? 40 days, 40 nights. It's one of the biggest um, moments in Jesus is right as he's baptized, right as he's anointed with the Holy Spirit, we see him being taken out and just fasting with the Lord. And, and in this moment, 
it literally, as soon as he's done, it says Satan comes to him and starts to tempt him. Or the tempter comes into his life and tries to get him by speaking a little bit of lies. So I'm going I'm to read. So in verse 1 it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. So, in this, in this moment and in this part right here, there is, there, is, there is a lot that you could break down. There is so much. But I just want to talk about a few things. And it says, so Jesus and his temptation with the devil, right? So we look at this. What was so significant about this moment? So when we read this, what was so significant about this? It just in, in you reading it and you, and you, and you um, looking at these verses, what was so significant about it? One thing I like to look at is that Jesus built his life on God's promises. From the very beginning and in this very moment, in the, in the sense of temptation, Jesus built his life on God's promises. He kept saying, it is written. It is written. It is written. His focus was on God's word. His focus was what God proclaimed. Right? He was referring to God's word, allowing God's voice to overcome the chatter. One thing I like to look at in this part um, is, is in verse 5 when, it, when uh, Satan goes, if you're the son of God, throw yourself, for it is written. He literally used Jesus' line against him and tried to take truth and twist it to Jesus himself. That always gets me. I'm like, so you literally tried to use Scripture against Scripture, Right? <laughs> I just start, I, it just blows my mind because like he literally said, for it is written. So he tried to take the context of Scripture and twist it concerning Jesus. And I look at this and I'm like, man, I, I never really thought about that before, that Satan literally tried to take Scripture and use it against Scripture, the Word of God. And you think about that and I'm like, man, he was pretty smart. But then, but then Jesus comes back, and well, it is also written. Jesus was fighting with Scripture alone and used His promises to affirm the truth. He used the promises that God promised Him to affirm everything that Satan was saying. One of my favorite, one of my favorite lines is, 
And the devil took him to a very high mountain, or it says on the top of a temple or uh, in other versions, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. I, I just would love to be there and, and to listen as, as the devil is saying this to Jesus, because Jesus has already been given all of these kingdoms. He's been given the entire world. He's the king of kings, and he knows it. I just want to see his face whenever Satan says, I will give you these kingdoms. And I just like, he didn't have a smart remark. He didn't have a sarcastic remark, anything. He just says, go away. You know, I worship the Lord and only serve him. But I really wish like we could have just see his face and just thinking like, dude, are you serious? Like, come on. You're going to give me these kingdoms. I already own them. So I don't know what truth you're trying to trying to twist. But it's, it's huge. It's because every single moment he tried to twist Scripture. He tried to twist truth to adhere to what Satan was saying. But ultimately, Jesus had to just stand firm in what? God's promises. He had to stand firm in what? God's voice. He had to stand firm. He knew the voice of the Father. He knew the Word. And he stood strong in that. He didn't allow an outside source or a voice or something to come into his life, twist truth to where now it was distorted and that imparted on him. Because at the very end, he had enough with it. Uh, some version says, get behind me, thee, Satan. I think it's King James. Or go away, Satan. He, had, he was fed up with all of this nonsense. And he said, just leave me alone. And what did, the, what, did, what did the devil do? He had to leave. Because Jesus had the authority of truth. So if we have Jesus in our heart, we have the authority of truth to push out the distortion, the lies, the chatter. But it takes you standing firm in what knowing truth is and what the Word is and who your Father's voice to push it out. You have the authority to tell Satan what to do. The enemy. Anything. You have the authority to push it out. But if you don't, it starts piling up. It starts piling up. It starts piling up, and pretty soon you're just stuck in a hole of distorted truth, not knowing what is true. So when we train our mind to feast on the promise of God, you become consumed with His goodness. But when you eat from the table of other voices, that's all you will hear. When you eat from the, from the table of other voices, that's all you will hear. And so, that's why I, I just, I challenge you. I challenge you in three different things this morning. How to block out chatter. I challenge you in three different things how to block out chatter. One, common sense. Use God's word. If you're not digging into the Word, 
of the Lord, if you're not striving to understand his word, how do you know the truth? How do you know the truth to push out the lie? That is a huge ground right there. We have to use God's word. The second one is we have to pray. Prayer is a huge thing. We can, we, can, we can see God's word, but now we actually have to hear God's word. We have to know what our Father's voice sounds like. We can read truth all day long, but then we actually have to listen to the truth being imparted onto us. Prayer is huge. And if we're not listening to the Father's voice, then how do we know what that voice is going to be talking into our lives? Because God's word is great, but it also prayer has to come in because prayer is what affirms the truth inside God's word. But if, if you're allowing outside sources to come in, then outside sources will come in and twist the truth of God's word and turn it into something different. So those two things have to line up. The third thing is, is um, how do we block out chatter as each other? So, so us, as, us as men, we have, to, we have to be man enough. Hey, brother, man, I'm struggling. These things are coming in my heart. Can you pray for me? Or, hey, so-and-so's having a hard time. Let's go pray for him. Or, hey, we need to lift this family up. He's, he's, he's struggling. We have to use each other. As backbones. Because that's, that's, that's why we're here, you know. And, and it says where two or more are gathered, he will be there, right? So what better way to even hear more truth than when praying with each other or lifting each other up or even just reaching out. If you're listening to God's word and listening to his voice and he gives you someone to pray for, Text them. Let them know that you're praying for them. You don't know the encouragement that brings to somebody. I know Bob gets a text message every 7.30, 7.30 every morning from somebody. Is it 7.30? 7 7 (laughs) o'clock. It's just a word of of encouragement. (laughs) Did you lose your phone? But, I mean, that's, that's, that's huge. And so, I just, um, to end it, I just, have, I just had a few questions. And you can write these down or we can kind of talk about them. It's up to you. Um, we have plenty of time to kind of sit and just and talk. I mean, that's, that's the reason why we're here is to talk and, and converse. And so, question number one is, is what's your chatterbox? First, we have to establish what our chatterbox is, because if we don't know what that is, then how do you know to dis- how do you know what to dis- distinguish what is God's voice and what is lies? Right? Okay. So the the second one is how do we recognize the truth from a lie? How do we recognize the truth from a lie?
And the third question is, and this one's kind of long, so if you're writing this down, I'll, I'll repeat it. What are some steps we can take together that will help us rely on each other's help instead of going at it alone? What are some steps we can take together that will help us rely on each other, each other's help, instead of going at it?